I did have one thing I wanted to say. It's about rending the heavens. Um, you know, I love being here. I love the worship. I love seeing everybody participate. It reminds me of me at home because that's how I love to worship God. Just whatever goes, goes. And when he goes, he comes. Right? And last night, you know, we were talking. I don't know what we were talking about, but anyhow. You know, I think we... I know, I was talking about me just, you know, I get that finger going and saying, you know, you know, I told the devil to get lost and God, where's my daughter's house? I think in doing that, we are rending the heavens. You know, we're parting the heavens, making a way for God to come down. It's a two-way situation, you know, so that's all, folks. <laughs> uh, Zechariah, the first chapter. The four horsemen appear to a man under the myrtle tree on the white horse. That man under the myrtle tree was an uncreated angel. Uh, he is the Lord concealed in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. He's the Christ. And he is sending those four horsemen now. Uh, and if you study there, you'll find the voice of the Father, the voice of the Son, and the voice of the Holy Spirit in Zechariah, the first chapter. And this uncreated angel is crying out to the Father, Father, how long will you judge the church? And you've let the enemy take that judgment far beyond what you meant for it to come. So every time this uncreated angel talks to Papa, his answers will always be yes. And last night, the four craftsmen and the four horns is what he's speaking about. And you'll find that, that our daddy's getting ready to answer that prayer of his son, which has already been prayed. And... Get ready for holy terrors. Those who will terrorize and panic-stricken the enemy. Yeah. It's in the last verse of Zechariah 1. And the four horsemen are released now. Uh, Bonnie's seen them lately. Uh, I have no idea how many people are talking about the horsemen. Each one of the colors of the horsemen means different things. So the four horns, I've told you what they mean. But what the Father will release will be something far beyond the power of the four horns. It's, literally, it's the craftsmen, the carpenters, or the principality, powers, thrones, and dominions of the third heaven, not the second heaven. So the horsemen are loosed. And they'll keep running. And they'll keep pushing back until the church gets up. Or we're in the time of judgment. If you study this, though, the church is judged first. I believe the church is coming to its end of its judgment and the beginning of its purpose. Now, you said something. There's going to be something happen here. I believe so, too. I think 
a lot of times where I go, there's confirmation of what I'm going to bring. And the last part of my message tonight, I believe, is going to make it clear what it is. Uh, for years, I've thought, what is man? And the Lord began to, many, many years ago, begin to show me what man was. But only recently did I get it all put together. For Hebrews 2.6, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care, visit, and look after him? Man was brought into being by the God sperm seed. First Peter uh, uh, 23. When he breathed into man, he breathed his spirit into you. Mankind is the only thing that has his genetics in you. This genetics has authority over DNA, which is your body parts. You call everything out here is made out of DNA. But the only thing in creation he's breathed in is genetics, this possibility of a coming like his son. He sowed his son for a purpose. So he could have a, a large family. Like his son. What he approves in you is his son. And the more you mature, the more he will uh, uh, approve of you and release you. So this is what uh, I've been praying about. The number of man is six. We've always taken that as evil. I don't no longer take that as evil. It is the number of man. But man was created by God, therefore he's not evil. Some get that away as they go on in life, and others uh, are born in where there's a curse over your bloodline. But the church ought to have been set free of this curse a long time ago. Man was created on the sixth day. The soul of man is mind, will, and emotions. The spirit of man is conscious, Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Conscious. Which is six. Your mind is your living room. And so many living rooms have got all kind of trash in them. I think the worst thing that the church has got in it is yesterday's uh, emptied Pepsi bottles yesterday's papers half-eaten hamburger just literally trash and you're thinking of the past if you dwell on the past you have no understanding of the day and no vision for the future I believe that Alzheimer's is caused by people that live in the past, that have no vision for today or tomorrow. The only thing the past is good for for you 
is when somebody comes to you that needs help and you went through that in the past and you've got a scar on it, you can set them free. Anything else? The past is past. It's let it pass. You need to clean out the living room if you've got all that junk in it. Then you're not going to have a visitation. He wants you to clean out the living room, put a chair in the center of it, and just bow down before that chair until he comes. If that living room is empty, he'll come. You know, a lot of people, they've got uh, pictures of naked girls hanging on their wall, beer bottles and things like that. You want to jerk them things off if they're in your mind. Tear them things off the wall and write Scripture on it. You ought to write Scripture all over the walls of your mind. You were told to when you come into the promised land to inhabit it. You really need to learn Scripture now. You ought to find out what is yours. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed beg bread. It's a promise. The king of God let me to drink but his righteousness, peace, and joy. He's given me all authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Uh, scorpions is sickness. Serpents is death. You have authority over it. Write that on the walls of your living room. Because your mind is where you live. And your mind is where he visits. When you get the right things on the walls of your mind, and you keep it clean from yesterday, and you get into hunger and thirst and expectations, you're going to have a visitation. More than that, the main purpose of all of this is so that Papa can have a habit, cohabitation. Uh, Ephesians 2.22 So Papa wants to move in. Jesus is going to come first and prepare a way for Papa to move in. But in these last days, they will be a cohabitation of our Daddy in the Spirit. There's Ephesians 2.22 And it'll come with Ephesians 2.20 Foundation, Apostles and Prophets. One thing you must do uh, keep in the living room. You must cl- keep it clean from pollution. Because pollution will start putting pornography on your walls. And pornography will bring perversion. So sin don't happen to you instantly. It happens when you begin to put pollution in your mind. Some of you are not like this, but some of the worst pollution I've seen is on TV right now. And sometimes I have to change the channel on a good football game because of the pollution in there that I don't need on my mind. The mind is the living room of your life. You must keep it clean from pollution, pornography, and perversion. 
The will determines which way you go. Mind, will, and emotions. You will to do His will. Then it's going to be a sacrifice of your will to do His will. Uh, The Lord didn't really enjoy the cross. He obeyed it because it was the will of the Father. And it, it eternally saved us. The first man that came out of the grave was him. The second man was me. You know why? Because I'm his favorite. <laughs> Bunny don't believe this. She argues with me all the time. Who's God favored? See, I know he, I'm his favorite. What about you? The emotions are the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you heard me say this before. Some of you haven't. Well, I lived up in Statesville uh, on the first day of Hanukkah a few years ago. I don't believe the Lord was born in December whatsoever. Because we checked that out a long time ago. So what is so important about Hanukkah in December? I believe he was conceived then. And he was made flesh and dwelt among us at conception. This was God in such a small God-sperm seed. But in that one seed was all the attributes of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I believe that he was conceived because at conceptions you were made flesh and dwell among us. I believe he was born in the Feast of Tabernacles. And I think that Hanukkah is one of the most important, or possibly the most important, uh, uh, events that he'd done because God came to us. He was born as all men were. He died as all men did. But he was resurrected. Those are the two things that really speak to me. The conception of God and the resurrection. That's where you were saved. So I saw a... It was the first day of Hanukkah. It was the Feast of Lights. And it was a season you called Christmas, and I don't have any problem with that. But I saw a a group of people come. I saw a husband and a wife coming. I'll tell you, God is a family man. And this husband and wife came bringing him a basket of fruit. And they were large oranges. And I seen them speak to him. Happy Conception Day, Lord. And he thanked them. And I'm thinking, is there something you can give God? Yeah, there is. That orange is love. You were created to give him fruit. And when you give love and you love one another, you have the sweet companionship of the Lord. Which is Psalm twenty five fourteen. You're also sun kissed. 
So what does love mean? It means you are my greatest pleasure. You can give him a gift. Then come the second group of people. They had the most beautiful peaches I've ever seen. They were big. And they were uh, uh, said, Happy Conception Day, Lord. And he took them and thanked them. And he said, You are a joy to me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. But you are a joy to me. And this peaches was joy. Joy means a sense of well-being. See, you can give him fruit of your life. Love, joy. Then I saw another husband and wife come up with a big basket full of apples. They were them red, big, delicious ones. And apple means health. Uh, I'm the apple of the Lord's eye. And the apple was peace. Peace means freedom from disturbing thoughts or emotions. See, emotions again. Freedom from disturbing thoughts or emotions. It means you have got control of your emotions. Your emotions got control of you. Peace is really important now that you keep it in the family. For it's not the God of war that's going to subdue Satan. It's the God of peace. Romans sixteen twenty. When you stay in peace, then those that aren't are going to flee to you. For they're going to need peace. And they're going to be watching you. And that when they say you're free from all these disturbing thoughts or emotions, they're going to need you. And you're going to be needed like you've never been before. So peace is the victory that overcomes the world. And peacekeepers are sons. Fourth thing I saw was a pair, which is patience. Uh, probably need more of that. I don't think I do. I know I do. Patience is the pair. Enduring life without complaining. Long life. Bearing fruit after 150 years. When you are being tried and your children are watching you all the time, they're going to be just like you. And they see a patience in you and they don't see that murmuring or that griping and all that going on, but they just see you steadfast in your faith and your patience. They'll see you when you're going to get what you were after. It goes into the next generation. 
these things have a way of going into a fourth and fifth generation and on down in it. That's why the fruits you bear in patience can go on for 150, 200 years or beyond. Uh, complaining, griping, brings snakes. And keeping your mouth shut and seeking peace, you find peace. Enduring life without complaining. The fifth one was kindness, which was a tomato. So the big heart, the tomato, or kindness, is big-hearted, very generous, always willing to help any person they can. Time, money, whatever it takes, they're a generous. And they have a, a new heart. God puts a new heart in them. The fifth one was goodness. And goodness was the strawberry. Goodness has excellent virtue in it. Healing virtue. They're used in healings. Smaller in their own eyes, but very sweet and very humble. When the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched his hem, virtue flowed out of him, and she was healed. When you let goodness work in your life, you can pray for the sick and they'll recover. Because there's a virtue in you right here that really comes from the throne through you, the kingdom within. And several of you here have got this type of anointing on you. That goodness in you where you just love people. And you just want to help them. That excellent virtue will come out of you and it will heal them spiritually, mentally, and physically. You'd be surprised how many people need healed spiritually. They've been wounded in the church. Their spirit's wounded. You heal their spirit. I've seen it over and over. When the spirit gets healed, their natural body gets healed too. So... Really seek goodness so that excellent virtue can come out of here and the body can get well again. Spiritually, mentally, and physically. The seventh one is the grape, faithful. Faithful says, is loyalty. Send no to our options. The enemy's given us options day and night. We ought to learn to say no to him. If you do, the Lord is really seeking those that will be faithful and loyal to him. Because those are the ones he's going to release. The eighth one was gentleness, the banana. Soft-hearted, gentle, sweet, full of potassium. It builds your heart also the color of the glory so gentleness we need to be learned to be gentle with one another we ought to be gentle to anybody we minister to we ought to be gentle with one another because we can strengthen one another 
The ninth one is self-control, the grapefruit. Self-control is having control of one's emotions. The emotions again. You in control instead of them in control. And you can do it. You don't let the emotions fly you off the handle or anything like that. You control them. Very big, both sweet and sour. Sweet is staying focused on the Lord. Sour is keeping to put to death the old man every day. Some of you wondering if you'll ever get the old man dead once and for all. I don't think so. I think you've got to knock him in the head and put him back in the grave every morning. I'd do that the first thing. If you can get that done the first thing, then the rest of your day is going to be all right. But you let him get out there and get loose, you've got problems. So keep telling him he's dead, knock him in the head, put him back in the grave, and cover him over. And the first thing in the morning, do the same thing the next day. The spirit of man is your conscience. The six things of the conscience are these. A pure conscience, Psalms 18:26, 2 Timothy 1:3, Titus 1:15, Matthew 5:8. Those who are spare, pure in spirit will see God. Your conscience is your spirit. It's the fourth thing in your innermost being. The thing you want to really look over tonight is what's in your conscience. That's your human spirit. When we sin, we willingly defile our conscience. And until we own our sins and acknowledge it and cry out for forgiveness, the Lord will totally cleanse your conscience. But if you want to know, if you wondered what your human spirit was, as I have for years, it's your conscience. You know why the little children don't have any problems at all getting to see God? Because you were born with a clean conscience, a pure conscience. And they just believe what you tell them. And then the Holy Spirit shows them because they can see God. It's time that we ought to begin to get a vision of getting a pure conscience again. There are things that he's calling us to purity now like never before. That we would not violate our conscience. For if you do, then you're using the will, your will to add to your flesh. So you'll find in um, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it said, Let us clean ourselves from all spirit and flesh defilement. He wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do. So I believe your conscience... is where we begin to go down the hill. A good conscience in 1 Timothy 1, 19, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 9, 
clear conscience, Acts 24, 16, and 1 Peter 3, 6. When you have a good conscience, then the Lord can direct your life and begin to motivate and direct you. You won't have as, as a pure conscience as a little child will, but you'll have a good conscience where you can be used of the Lord in awesome ways. A good conscience is goodness, which is virtue, which is also moral excellency, not perfect, but being perfected by the Holy Spirit. We are saved, well, being saved, what will be saved. So when you've got a good conscience, uh, you've got good virtue, your morals is excellent, not yet perfect, but being perfected by the Holy Spirit. So I'm trying to show you how man goes down the hill. If he goes down the hill, he can climb it again. The third one is the stricken conscience of John 8, 9. Our conscience convicted by strong emotion the people that wanted to stone the woman taken in adultery. They brought this woman to the Lord who was taken in adultery. They were going to entrap the Lord. And they brought her to him to where he would say stone her. You know, this woman taken in adultery, I wonder how many of the men that was there ready to stone her was guilty of that same adultery with her. So the Lord wrote in the dirt. I believe he wrote every one of their sins. I believe he struck their conscience like you wouldn't believe. And when he looked up, he said, Woman, we're your accusers. For he said to him, Let he who is uh, not sin cast the first stone. These people really had the wrong thing in their conscience. They were ready to stone somebody when they'd probably do it worse. So, as the conscience goes downhill, you become real judgmental of everybody else's sin but yours. You become so religious that you want everybody else put to death but you. So I think it's time that we ought to let him who's a little bit taller than we are and higher be the judge of people instead of us. For he spoke to this woman and she said, Only you, Lord. He said, I don't condemn you either. Go your way and sin no more. In other words, repent. Everything that we're coming downhill here, you can repent of. A defiled conscience. A second Corinthians seven one and Titus one fifteen. Is contaminated by sin, pollution, pornography, perversion. If you put that in your spirit, your human spirit, 
And your human spirit is so close to the Holy Spirit in you. And if you've got the wrong ambition in you, your human spirit is for you. And it's going to uh, put an ambition in you that is a worldly ambition, unholy. And bring you into a place of defilement where the Holy Spirit won't even be able to direct your life anymore. So in here it's saying, let us clean ourselves from everything that defiles. In the Second Corinthians 7, 1, you really got to get a hold of Second Corinthians 6 to find out where the real joy is at. For all of his speaking in Second Corinthians 6 is sons and daughters of God. Those who will cleanse their conscience and will take on a humility in their conscience and have a hunger and thirst in their conscience. Every one of these things, when you acknowledge your sin, you cry out to Him. He'll forgive you. The fifth one is an evil conscience. Hebrews 10.23 When you and your thinking, your thoughts, opinions, and intentions are evil. Your thoughts about people are evil. Your opinions are evil. Your intentions are evil. I think there's a lot more of this in the body of Christ than people realize. Here it's saying in Hebrews 10.22 what we need to do is repent of it. Begin to repent and begin to raise up your spirit man to where that you can begin to hear in your spirit man what the Holy Spirit's saying in you. The sixth one is a seared conscience, first Timothy four two. A seared conscience is said over and over to the Holy Spirit, No. I don't want you bothering me anymore. And it comes to a place to where the Holy Spirit doesn't convict them anymore. And when it comes to that point, there's no need of you speaking to these people. But they have a seared conscience. And they don't want the Holy Spirit convicting them. And I don't believe they're saved when they get to this stage. By the way, I've only saw two people in the 40 years I've been a minister that was at this stage. And they told the Holy Spirit they didn't want him bothering them. I like to take a clear glass of water. And that's what your conscience is. If I dip it in the darkest sewer there is and let a drop of it fall in that water, 
it begins to taint that water. That's sin. One time in there, you can still see pretty good. But you stay consistently in that sin and you're consistently not letting the Holy Spirit convict you and repent of it. You start downhill. And you may be on the front row of the church and you're critically judging everybody when you're the worst sinner in there. You keep going and you keep putting that stuff in your spirit and not acknowledging your sin. It'll get so dark and you come under such a delusion and you come to that place where your spirit's seared. It starts with one drop. It can end with that one drop by repentance. This seared conscience is one that there's no need you waste your time on them. But I don't think any of you can run into people like that. I've heard people really wonder, have I committed the unpardonable sin? I can ask them one question. Can you sin without conviction? No, you can't. Who's convicting you then? Holy Spirit. As long as you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, you're all right. This is what man is. Man can have an evil conscience. Here it says repent. Repent of the way you think. Repent of your evil thoughts, your opinions, and your intentions. You can do it or the scripture wouldn't have told you to. If you do, then your conscience begins to clean like the pollution settles to the bottom. You begin to reverse the order that you got into. Your defiled conscience you begin to clean it up. You're cleaning it up for a purpose to be sons and daughters. You do it. One bad sin in the body of Christ is blame shifting. I just wasn't born rich. I wasn't born good looking. I don't have the best teaching. That's a self pity thing. Don't believe that. Because all of you have got a Bible. That's the best teaching they are. And let the Holy Spirit teach you through it. So, you get your evil conscience, you begin to clean up. You begin to filter it out. The defiled conscience is when you willingly, I will not sin anymore in that area. Uh... When I got saved, I come to a place I will never drink again. I'm not going to defile my 
yourself with drinking. I mean it. It began to clean my conscience up, my spirit. A stricken conscience. I really become more concerned about getting my own sins taken care of than I am with setting other people free. How can I set them free when I'm not free? And it's time that we ought to really begin to... uh, Our conscience ought to be stricken by anything we're doing wrong, especially judging. When we've done worse. Taking another step up to Him. Coming into that place of good spirit and good conscience. That place of being useful to God. While not yet perfect, but being perfected. I think that's most of us. I think, especially children that are born out of a mother that's saved, a womb that is saved, they are pure, pure in spirit. I believe this generation is coming forth now. And they'll have no problem at all seeing God. I believe that we're on a journey up a hill to a climb that we'd come to that place where we could have that relationship with Him. So I think it's a time that we ought to really look ourselves over. I'm afraid there's too much of this evil conscious in the body. Evil intentions. Marketing. I want to belong to the body of Christ so I can sell things and rip them off. It happens all the time. Evil thoughts, intentions. And it really rips the body of Christ off because the body of Christ is greedy and it'll usually be sold a bill of goods like pyramid schemes because they want to make big money. I think if you want to make big money, I'd double my tithes. I mean it. I was speaking this evening about a man that Bonnie and I know. I knew him years ago. He was getting... Well, he had a hundred million, and uh, he was traveling with us. And the Lord spoke to him and said, "Go tell that man. There's a building that'll cost a million dollars. If he will buy that building and give it to a ministry, there'll be great things take place in this ministry." The man couldn't control it, so he didn't didn't give it. If he could have controlled it, then he would have. He was a man that made money that he ought to give it into the church and left it alone because his calling was making money. And he ought to have sold it 
uh, three or four months ago, he lost $79 million one day. He didn't sow. That was the Holy Spirit offering him something. And now, what he collected, he's trying to sell to live off of. So, I believe we'll reap according to the measure we sow. I think it's time that we ought to begin to ask the Holy Spirit where we can sow. I've never been able in the New Testament to prove the 10%. I don't think he's limited us to 10%. But he did say, we will reap as we sow, or time and everything else. And when you get that stuff into your conscious, your spirit of giving, you're not going to have to worry about losing no $79 million in one day. Because once you help or once you lend to the poor, once you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, He will repay. You'll be warned ahead of time. And I believe the Lord is looking for people now that He can bring them to a place of trusting as a partner to where they'll give Him His partnership where He wants it or He'll sow where He wants it. And uh, uh, as I said before, I think each and every one of you ought to get a vision of sowing in your own field. If this is your church, you need to sow here, because here's where you're going to reap. It's all right to support ministries and things like that coming out of it. But I'll tell you, a lot of ministries that's hyped up on TV now are, to me, pyramid schemes. So you ought to support your own church wherever you go. That's sowing in your field. You can expect, put a demand on it there. Because once you sow in your own field, you can put a demand on it. Sow in your own town here. In the town you're from, if you're other places. To where you'll have that harvest. If your conscience is clean... then the kingdom of God is in you by the Holy Spirit. And what He speaks into your spirit will be clear. You'll hear according to the cleanness of your spirit. And it's time <coughs> every one of you come to a place where you can hear I think many of you have been taught that you don't, but I'll tell you, you can. You had to, you had to hear to get saved. My sheep. If you heard enough to get saved, these others are not near as hard to get as your salvation. It was actually included in your salvation. And when you hear from the Holy Spirit into your spirit, and you give action to it, you'll see the kingdom of God come. One of the hardest things for the body of Christ to learn is the difference between their spirit and the Holy Spirit. If it's got a little ambition in it, 
their spirit will speak it. And they'll think it's the Holy Spirit. And it isn't. And so it takes you a while to learn the difference between your spirit and the Holy Spirit. But if you keep going, you'll learn the difference. One of the first things I learned about my spirit and the Holy Spirit is what this, my spirit told me to do is what I wanted to do. But what the Holy Spirit told me to do is what I didn't want to do. I remember once a wealthy woman called me up and said, Can I come over to your house? I need help. And I said, Okay. And I asked the Lord, What does she need? Because she has everything. He said, $20. Ooh, you talk about something to wrestle with. I got $20 out and I said, I'd be glad she gets here to where I can quit wrestling. She drove up, I walked out, and I said, Here. She started bawling. And I said, What's this all about? She said, Well, the IRS turned up, tied up all of our finances. And my husband is so depressed, he won't even come out of the bedroom. And a person that worked for us lied on us. And they're checking our books today, and all of our bank account, and everything's gone. We didn't have any money laid up in the house. And I told him I needed prayer. I may have enough a gasoline to drive back home in my white Cadillac. But I'm going over for prayer. When I give her that $20, she didn't need any prayer. She got what she needed. I didn't want to do it. So when you get something down here that you don't really want to do, I look over pretty close. For it's righteous. That's what he wants you to do. The sixth thing in your spirit is the wisdom of the ages. By the Holy Spirit, this will come and begin to you the, the wisdom how to come into this sonship. The wisdom how to use the genetics that's in you to speak it into the DNA which is your arms and your legs and create we're in a time to where the creative miracle starts and it's those that have matured that have walked with the Holy Spirit long enough to know the difference between their spirit and the Holy Spirit to learn the word the Bible know it by scripture to where each time he will do things according to the written word of God and as that comes into a clean conscience the wisdom of the age is spoken into it and the sons and daughters of God are coming forth with authority over all the DNA which can recreate body parts most of the body parts I've seen recreated was on the inside and 
I was sort of glad it was that way because until the body of Christ gets ready for it one person that does that it wouldn't be good because if he could stay humble you'd still kill him <laughs> by trying to get to him we need the body of Christ to grow up for each and every one of you get a vision of doing creative things I've seen miracles on the inside where they were nothing and there was a <clears throat> I've seen a woman that had a hysterectomy and was weeping and crying and they took a she began to get big in front they took an x-ray to find out what was wrong with her the only thing wrong with her she was pregnant and had a womb these things are not impossible they're happening I've seen brand new kidneys where they were gone I remember a few years ago uh, they told me that give me a scripture I didn't know there was a question that you can command the hands of the Lord so I called the church into a fast for three days and we were going to pray and a guy was going to get saved three days later we were waiting and a lot of empty stomach women were there and the Lord forgot that I'd commanded him to show up And we all left hungry. And I left handing in my resignation. I told him, I'm going to go back to the Baptist church and pass out tracts. <laughs> so that night I had a dream. And I was probably about a year old. And I had a pamper on and that had a bad accident in it. <laughs> and my brother had me by the hand and he's walking me down an aisle. And I was squalling and bawling and throwing a fit and he dropped me right in the middle of a big room. And it was a judgment room. And I was laying there on my stomach and I was kicking and squalling and making a fit and then I could see myself doing that and thinking, I'm going to get killed. And there was a man who sat on the bench. It was just totally white. I couldn't see any part of him. And I heard a real kind voice, that just like my brother said, What happened to Bob? My Jewish lawyer, my brother said, He had an accident. He said, I want you to tell that boy that we got him covered from accidents. You know, once you step out and try, you got accident insurance. You may not understand, but if you feel your pamper, that's healthy. So then I heard, it got real quiet there. I looked over to the judgment places where the jury sits. And they were really ha-ha'd. And 
This jury up there still accuses you dead and night. The devil and his henchmen. Got real quiet, and I thought, boy, here it comes. I'm going to get it. And the voice was really kind and gentle, said, Tell him we've got him covered from those accidents. He's got the best insurance policy in the world. He's got the blood of my son. Now, won't you tell him to go back this next weekend? And I want him to do twice as much as he spoke. Well, I didn't have any intentions going back. I was too ashamed. So I got, we, uh, I made sure that the praise services started before I cut in. And I sat on the back row where I could run quickly. I noticed a man sitting on the aisle across from me. And he looked like he had a banana peeling, uh, one leg in the grave and the other on the banana peeling, and he was slipping. And he was. So the praise went on, and I got into a little of praise. And the Lord said, I want you to bring a word of knowledge. There's a man here that has no lungs. I'm going to give him two lungs tonight. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm already, uh, I've already ruined my reputation. If I do that, it'll really ruin it. He said, if you ever get one, I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> So I just screamed it out. This man said, it's me. He said, I was in the Second World War. A bullet destroyed my left lung. I've just been to the VA, and my right lung is better than half gone. And he said, they've got me set up for the Veterans Hospital and they say I'll never come out of there. And I said, he said, I, uh, I live several miles from here, about 60 miles from here. In fact, he lived up around where Jim Gall lived. And he said, the Lord spoke to me today and said if I'd come here, he'd give me new lungs. So, I went up in front, and I said, come on, let me pray for him. And he had to wait, uh, just get enough breath to walk a few steps. I don't know why we didn't go back to him. <laughs> but we prayed for him, and he started breathing good. Then we said, try walking around the outside of the church, outside of the seats. Man, he went to trotting around there. And he come up at the end of that, and he said, I can breathe. I got my lungs. He said, I've got an appointment. I've got to go to the VA uh, this next Monday. And what am I supposed to tell them? <laughs> I said, I wouldn't tell him anything. So he went. And he told them, God, give me two new lungs. They said, No, you don't get no new lungs. You're died. Oh, no, I'm not. He said, well, we'll take an x-ray of your lungs and just see. They come back at them x-rays and they said, we've never seen this scam before. What are you trying to pull? Are you his twin brother? 
Now, lungs don't grow back, and you got two healthy ones. You don't understand it, but... You can't be the man. We don't know what's going on, but we're going to take you down and fingerprint you and prove that you aren't the man. They went down and they fingerprinted him. And they said, we don't understand here. Uh, they kept him three days, I think. And they got so upset at him, they said, we want you to leave this hospital. You're bothering us. We don't know what's happened here, but we don't believe in creative miracles. And he said, I'm on 100% disability. What I do about that? You come in six months from now, and if you're still alive, we'll check you again. You're going to be on 100% disability the rest of your life. And he said, but I've got two healthy lungs. No, you couldn't have. We've got proof that you don't. Uh, I think it's about seven years later I went to a church up north of Kansas City and ministered there and a man come in it looked like the picture of health and he said do you remember me and I said I don't believe I do then he told me who he was uh, he had a family he had gotten married after that he had a family he had children and he, I said what about your disability? He said, I'm still on 100% disability. <laughs> and he said, I'm the ministry of helps around this church. I mow the grass. I clean it up. I keep the, everything that's needed around the church. I do. The last I heard, he had five children. <laughs> and still on 100% disability. I've seen these created things. What we're getting ready for is the created things. Who's going to do it? The worst thing that can happen is one man up here. But if you do it out there, the Lord can get the credit for it. Or if a group of you do it, By the way, it took about six months before I got thrown out of that church. <laughs> it's time that you begin to let the Holy Spirit use you. If your conscience is undefiled, then the Holy Spirit is in you. Therefore, the sword of the Spirit is in you which is the Word of God. So the Father, in Matthew sixteen nineteen, what He is bound in heaven can be bound on the earth. So when He speaks it in the Holy Spirit in you, what He is bound in heaven, and it comes into your conscience, your spirit, it is the rhema Word of God it has enough power in it to accomplish that what he sent it to do. And you then begin to proclaim instead of beg. You begin to proclaim what your daddy's saying in heaven, and you can close up the enemy, the second heaven portal. You can create.
because your daddy's still creating, and that creative power is in you to create. And it's time that the body of Christ ought to get a, a vision for creating. Because if you're his sons and his daughters, then his genetics is in you. It's creative. So, the sword of the Spirit are the keys of the kingdom that unlocks the power of God, which is that which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then you can close the negative portals and negative portals many times are uh, uh, plagues, infirmity, and things like that. One righteous man can stop them. And then when you hear, the Holy Spirit speaks into your conscience, your spirit, about opening up a portal of heaven from the third heaven down here. Then that cornucopia, that blessing of plenty comes down here. And you can begin to release that on the earth. This is son and daughtership. This honors our daddy. Signs and wonders honors papa. I'm afraid the church has ruined his reputation. Well, the church needs to get it back. And he gets it back with signs and wonders. Uh, John fourteen thirteen. When you do that, you're honoring God. And it's time that we ought to begin to honor Him. It's time that we need to begin to let Him speak into our conscience. Reveal the wisdom of the ages, which is what you're made out of. So, Man is not evil. He can be. But he can also be righteous and he can also be like Jesus. And Jesus made a way. And you can get into the Word and find out what Jesus' way is. If I would describe one word what Jesus' way was, it'd be Romans 13.10. Love fulfills all of his laws, ordinances, and statutes. If you love, that's Jesus' way. If you love, then faith worketh by love. And once you begin to love, the Holy Spirit in you will begin to pour into you revelation Whoever comes, you'll have that which they need. So, it's a different time than we've ever known before. I think I'll share one more. Bunny, would you bring that on? Arthur Burt, I believe you all know him, don't you? Here, honey, you can have this. Uh... Ten years ago in Panama City, Florida, I went into a trance and I saw a man, and this man was having a, a problem to believe. For the Lord spoke to him in his dream and said, I give him a, a promise on the year he was born, 1930. 
And I want you to minister to him today. He's from Wales. And I didn't know anybody in Wales. But Kathy Walters called me that day and says, Do you have a word for an old prophet? And I said, No, I've got to have a word for somebody in Wales is all i got. She said, That's him. And I was told to tell him this. You will live to see the promise that God gave you in 1930 on the year I was born. And so then, I wanted to find out what the promise was. And so did Kathy Walters. <laughs> By the way, there was a group of about 30 of them meeting together and praying. And Smith Wigglesworth is in the midst of them, which stayed with Arthur and his wife. And here's what he said. There shall come a breath, and the breath shall bring the wind. God breathed into man in the beginning. The Father's breathing into man again for a new beginning. And the wind. Get ready for a release of angel activity, which is angels or winds. It can go and begin to push back away darkness and make a way for new light. And the wind shall bring the rain, and the rain shall bring the... Rain means get ready for inspired teaching. Teaching that is the teachers that will teach by the revelation of the Holy Spirit according to what really is in the Word of God. I'm afraid that we've had doctrines preached to us that word God get ready for the destruction of the doctrines of man and the coming forth of the doctrines of God and the rain shall bring the floods and the floods and the floods with inspired teaching the signs and wonders there's going to be a flood come into the churches like you've never seen before those that survives those that really are after the Lord are going to survive and uh, the small churches will explode. Uh, small churches, some are going out uh, 150 miles in every direction. And the floods shall bring the floods, and the floods shall bring the floods, and the torrents, and the torrents, and the torrents. Get ready for, instead of 5 or 10 or 100, get ready for the thousands. Get ready for the woodstocks and things like that where... A million of them get saved at once. These are the torrents we're talking about. Now, Arthur Burke is only 97. Does that tell you something? You're living in a time you're going to see the change and the kingdom of God coming from out of you. So shall they be saved like the falling leaves from the mighty oak, swept by a hurricane in a great forest. Arms and legs shall come down from heaven, and there shall be no ebb. I totally believe this. Uh, if I'm a grandfather of prophets, then he's a great-grandfather. 
And he's lived past all of them. Down at Lakeland, he saw some of the signs and wonders. Lakeland was too much one man. God is a body person, a family person. You want the signs and wonders, and the rest of you get up, and you all begin to do it wherever it's needed. Begin to let that God energy in you recreate. For this is what your daddy does. He's still recreating. And you, his sons and daughters, need to recreate. Why does he need you? Because the heavens belong to him, but the earth is put into your hands. Psalms 115, 16. He will not violate his own word. You have the say down here. The devil doesn't. The government doesn't. Nothing else does. The church does. You, the church, have the final say. And it's time that the redeemed of the Lord begin to say so. Meekness or timidity is false pride. You got lion blood in you. It's time you begin to pull down the prey. I believe it's this year. Uh, what was the name of them two men out there? In 1909 in Azusa Street, William Seymour and Charles Parham. They spoke a hundred-year prophecy in 1909. They said the glory of God would come in a hundred years. A what? Hun? That would far surpass what happened in Azusa Street. Lord bless.